relationship lessons. In the book of Ruth, there's many different places and ways and applications that we can find in this short little four-chapter book. But what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look for relationship lessons. And as we look at these relationship lessons, we're going to be discovering what it is that God has for us. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ruth. We're going to be in Ruth chapter number two this morning. The previous book to the book of Ruth is a book called Judges. It was about 3,000 years ago in ancient Israel that Ruth was living during the time period of the judges. And it wasn't a time period that was easy and relaxed. It was a time of turmoil. There was wars going on. There was battles taking place, both spiritual battles in the home, but also physical battles outside the home. And during that time period, people were not always following God. And the end of the book of Judges describes that time period in a really in a very negative way. It says everyone did what was right in his own eyes, which is perfect if you're the only person on earth. Because I have discovered that when I only listen to my own counsel and I'm all by myself, I am absolutely brilliant until I come out to the real world and discover that I'm not quite as smart as I thought I was. And everyone was doing that which was right in their own eyes. And this morning, as we look through the book of Ruth, we're going to discover some relationship lessons during this time period of Ruth. This is the third week of the series. We will see that Ruth began with having to make a choice. She had to make a choice to face facts. Her circumstances were actually horrible. She married into a family that was from Bethlehem, from Israel. And there was a famine in the land in Bethlehem. So this family left their homeland, the promised place of God, and went to the enemy, a place called Moab. And with that, the father, a man named Elimelech, he ended up dying. And then you have the mother with her two sons. The mother's name was Naomi. And she had two sons, Malon and Chilion. And these boys were living in the enemy land of Moab. And Moab wasn't just an okay place. It was absolutely opposite to the worship of God. Their false god, a false god named Chemosh, was absolutely horrible. The demonic worship was disgusting. They would have child sacrifices. The whole mindset of the people was contrary to the way that the Israelites were taught to worship their God. And Naomi married off her two sons, two Moabite women. One was named Orpah. The other's name was Ruth. Now, you obviously know, because we have a book of the Bible called Ruth, that obviously God did some miraculous things in and through the life of Ruth. But what takes place? These two men marry these women, and they end up dying. So it's a really, it's, it begins, the first five verses are really negative, particularly if you're a man. You're like, boy, all the men in this family die. Ruth had to face the facts. And the facts were, hard times are going to come. Troubled times are going to come in your life. And some of you have experienced some serious troubled times in the, in the, not just the distant past. Like in the last couple of weeks, you've faced literally life or death situations where you had to face the facts that troubled times will come. 
And then the passage continues on in Ruth 1, verses 6 through 22. We see that Ruth had to make a commitment. She had to make a commitment to be loyal. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, back in the land of Moab, looked around and go, there's nothing for me here. I might as well go back. And she began to make that journey back, and she realized that I can't take these two women with me. I have nothing for them. And so she sent them back, and she really she convinced them to return. I have nothing for you. There's no absolute hope for you. There's no future for you here. You're probably going to starve to death. That was really appealing things to come and follow her back to Bethlehem. And one of the two women, Orpah, returned back to her family. But Ruth made a commitment at that time that she had no idea what the future was going to hold. All she knew at that time was that she had made a commitment to both Naomi and her family, but also she had made a personal commitment to the God of Israel. And she made a statement, and she said, your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. And then she went and she followed and they returned to Bethlehem. All along, God was working. Because God had to work only with a choice and a commitment. But also, she had to learn contentment. Contentment at this time was, I have no idea what the future is going to hold, but I'm going to be content that God is in control. As we think of our relationships, as we consider our own relationships, both both in a family-wise and with our children and children with your parents, and we go to work and we have work relationships, and then we have community relationships with our neighbors and the people surrounding us, our lives are filled with choices. They're filled with commitment, and we must live in contentment. But contentment doesn't mean you sit back and we do nothing. Have you discovered that relationships that are successful are actually a lot of work? They take work. Yesterday, I I conducted a, a wedding for a couple. I've conducted some of your weddings, and, and, and they're working still. Thank you in the back row. As I challenge this couple, which really I challenge every single couple during, during the, their ceremony, and I tell them beforehand, because I know on the wedding day, all the guy wants to hear is the end when you say you may kiss the bride. Everything else is a blur. So beforehand, I meet with the couples, and I talk through, and I explain what I'm going to say during the ceremony, and I give them a challenge. And the challenge is a very simple challenge with a couple brief points, is first of all, put God first in your home and in your marriage. And I am yet to meet a couple sitting on the couch in my office that doesn't go, that's exactly what we want to do. And you may have accidentally met your bride, men, but you're not going to accidentally keep them. It takes a lot of work. And that commitment to to put God first in your home and in your marriage isn't just something that you do on your wedding day when you say, I do. That's it. That's just the beginning. And in a wonderful way, because today's my 19th wedding anniversary, make sure you congratulate my wife for on her resilience. As you think about that work, I mean, my work was a joy, but her work was a lot more difficult. 
And as you think about that commitment, it's not something that you just did on one day and go, okay, I said I do. I gave you a ring, didn't I? It's a daily commitment to wake up next to that person, and I'll use my wife looking at me, not me looking at her, okay? Because if I make fun of her at all, I'm not making fun of her. It's the other way around. She looks up and she looks at me in the morning, and naturally I look perfect in the morning. And my breath is fresh. And I haven't snored at all or drooled or anything else. And she looks across at me and goes, oh, loving you is so easy. That's not reality, is it? It takes a lot of work. You may not be in a marriage relationship, but you know there's family relationships that take a lot of work. And you know there's work relationships that, again, take a lot of work. And in your friendship at school, you notice that they just, they take a lot of, of work in order to be successful. And our principle for today is this. And every Sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. It is successful relationships require hard work and God's grace. You see, in the book of Philippians, chapter number 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul, while he was in prison, wrote a very famous verse. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And it sounds easy. If you read that verse out of context and you didn't realize that the Apostle Paul was actually in prison at the time of writing this, you would think it's easy to be content because everything is going smooth. Everything is going easy. All the bills are paid. We're getting along so well. It's sunny outside, even though it's cloudy today. It's sunny outside Life is easy, but you realize his circumstances, he was in prison. And I'm not calling your marriage relationships prison. <laughs> but what I am encouraging you with is that contentment actually doesn't mean I'm going to sit back and do nothing. Contentment says I'm going to continue moving forward in my relationship, trusting that God is totally in control. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who does. And therefore, we can live life differently as a result. Because as we continue on, that verse 11 says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That passage continues in verse number 18. And it says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God makes a promise to supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And as we think about how God works in our hearts and in our lives, and we recognize that God is actively in control of our lives, it gives us a great deal of confidence. And I believe if you've made a choice to face the facts, and you are moving forward, and you have made a commitment to be loyal in your relationships with God and with others, contentment, is the natural next step. And the beautiful thing is we see that lived out in the life of Ruth in Ruth chapter number two. She's returned with her mother-in-law, Naomi, who's at this time not a very happy lady. Her name, Naomi, means pleasant. But she's changed her name when she returned to Bethlehem and asked everyone to call her Mara, which literally means bitter. 
So she's changed her name and probably her demeanor and her attitude of saying, I am bitter because look at what God has done for me. And she says, I went away full and I came back empty. Do you know what? She didn't go away full. She ran away from the things of God, she and her husband. And now God has lovingly brought her back. And now we're going to see what God is going to begin to do. Now, if you know the rest of the story of Ruth, I'm going to leave you dissatisfied today because there's still chapter three and chapter four that we'll look at in future weeks. So we're just going to look at chapter number two today. And so you're welcome to read ahead and you're welcome to study ahead because it's actually quite a satisfying study. We have three points this morning. Our three points are live by faith in God, live by the grace of God. And the third point is live in the hope from God. And as I read through this passage in the book of Ruth, chapter number two, you're going to see three different times the word favor is used. And that's where we're going to get our three points from this morning. And the word favor in the Hebrew is the same word as the word grace. translated in other places as the word grace, which is a word that means unmerited favor. And here we see Ruth, in three different circumstances, use the word favor. And we're going to delve into that and seek to apply this to our own lives and make some application for us this morning. That's our first point. If you have your bulletin, this is your first point in your bulletin. Live by faith in God. It's a, it's living by faith is living in expectation. God, you are going to have to do something here. And that's exactly what Naomi and Ruth did when they returned from Moab to Bethlehem. They were returning absolutely destitute. They had nothing. And maybe if you are in, in your marriage, you look at each other and go, remember the good old days when we had nothing? And remember when we started off with nothing, all we had was our love for each other, and that was enough to keep us warm in the cold nights. And then reality of the years passed on, you give me a blanket. They left and they returned to Bethlehem with nothing, but they had an expectation. They had an anticipation that God was going to work in their lives and through them. And it required them to get up and to work. And that's a character trait we see in the life of Ruth. We see the character trait of hard work. She was not a lazy woman. And it says in Ruth chapter number two, verses one through three. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the, of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We have been introduced to a new character. We have Naomi, the mother-in-law, who's bitter and angry. We have Ruth, the foreigner who's now come and she's a hardworking lady. And we're being introduced in the beginning of this chapter with a new man who's known as Boaz. And it says that a worthy man. So he's an honorable man. And he goes on in verse number two, uh, two. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him in whose sight I shall find, here's that word, favor. And she said, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of a field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. We see some things here. We see that there was a sense of anticipation of seeking God's favor. 
She was seeking God's favor. We see in verse number two, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain and let after him, and here's the key, in whose sight I shall find favor. Something interesting as you study that out. Naomi doesn't say, go to this particular place that I know some people here. We have family that are here. She's, Naomi just says, go, my daughter. I think at this time, Naomi was still very, very bitter. And she was still a lady going, God, you're hurting me. You're against us. Woe is me. But Ruth, on the other hand, says, I'm going to anticipate, God, you're going to be doing something here. I'm anticipating to find some good favor today. Somewhere around, God's going to direct me. You see, God already had in place a system of how to take care of people who were foreigners, people who were widows, people who were unable to provide for themselves in their own land. God had a system to take care of people. And we see the heart of God in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament during the, the books of the law. And in Deuteronomy chapter number 10, verses 18 and 19, it says, He, as talking about God, executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves here, God loves the sojourner. That's the foreigner. Giving him food and clothing. And here's the command. Love the sojourner. And we see the provision of God, of how God set up in place a means for people to take care and provide for themselves under the grace of God. It says in chapter 24 of Deuteronomy, verses 19 through 22. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. So if you're going along and harvesting the fields with the, with the sheaves, and, and this time there was the barley harvest taking place, and they're cutting up and they put it in the bundles and they would carry the bundles back to the homestead. And if you happen to leave some behind or drop some along the way, the law of God says you're not allowed to pick it up. Now, in and of itself, that's a really weird law. Because if we apply that to our children in their bedrooms, I'm sorry, we can never, ever pick up your rooms. But what we see here is it was a way of God saying, I love the foreigners. And it goes on and says, it shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and for the widow, that the Lord your God, and here's the promise, may bless you, in all the work of your hands, and it goes on in verse 22, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So God gives them a command to leave things behind in their fields, and if they happen to drop something, leave it behind. You know what that, how much faith that takes for the landowner? Because you don't know if you're going to have enough. You don't know if you're going to have enough. If you leave that, that sheath behind, are you going to have enough for your own family? So it took faith on the part of the landowner to trust God that God was going to supply their needs, even though they left something behind. And then for the widow, and it says for the fatherless, and for the sojourner or the, the foreigner, they had to have faith that God will provide enough leftovers for them to be able to provide for themselves too. This is a tremendous faith lesson. And Ruth 
went out to the fields. Now, this wasn't something that would have been back home in Moab. This was something new for her of how God provided a way of provision. It's a wonderful way of helping the poor, a way of giving to them a way to provide for themselves with some dignity. It wasn't just giving to the poor and you remain poor. It was asking them and really demanding of them some work on their behalf. But it required a great deal of faith. Now through this, and you see your bulletin, you'll see some questions in your bulletin. And through this, I want you to stop, because rather than me just tell you a story, and at the end of it you go, that was a nice story, thank you very much. We want to make some application. So first of all, application question is, are you living by faith? in God. And I specifically put the last part in God on there because you can be living by faith in yourself. You can be living by faith in others. You can be living by faith in the government. But are you living by faith in God? That right there changes our outlook on absolutely everything. And in regards to our relationships, it's a foundation. We want successful relationships. It's going to take uh, hard work and God's grace, and it begins with a faith. Faith comes through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That does not mean, as congratulations on being in church today, coming to church does not save us. Doing good deeds does not save us. It's a relationship with God. It's God's forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's our repentance and, our, and His forgiveness. Our, the free gift of salvation is by faith. We also go on from that. We, we, we see seeking God's favor and anticipation. The second point is seeking God's provision. It says in verse number 3, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. So the people were in the field, they were working hard, and she was following behind them, picking up little pieces along the way. And it says, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. That was her own family's tribe. Her father-in-law was Elimelech. And it says in that passage, which I think is a beautiful way to describe it, she just so happened to. How many of us have just so happened to be in the right place at the right time and we can look back upon it and say, God, you had it all worked out. God knew exactly what he was doing. She, in a wonderful way, didn't, in her mindset, just so happened to go to this certain field where God, I believe, directed her path. Something beautiful about when you can look back upon time and recognize how God orchestrated various things. We heard in the news this week, uh, and I was encouraged by a a story today about a man named Ken Elliott, who was a missionary uh, many years in Africa and a doctor. He was kidnapped for the last seven years and he's been released and he's a man from Perth. So he's a WA man. He's 88 years old. And you look at that and you go, God, why would you allow an 81-year-old man to be kidnapped for seven years in captivity? Who knows? But God works out and just so happens this man who had been missionary for over 50 years in Africa, the right place at the right time, who knows the eternal impact? As I reflect upon my own relationship, which please tell my wife I'm saying nice things about her.
I reflect upon my own marriage and all the things that have to take place. My wife, if you talk with her very long, you recognize that she wasn't born in Australia. She's a Southern girl, which is tremendous. As a Southern girl from the United States, she was the happy one. And I just happened to leave Australia as a 19-year-old and just happened to go to a particular college. And she just so happened to be required by her parents to attend Bible college for one year. That was literally, it was a requirement. You graduate high school as part of our family. You go to Bible college for one year. And then after that, you can do whatever you wish. And during that first year of Bible college, my wife had no intention of returning a second year. Her grades actually reflected that. But God was working in her heart, and actually a missionary from Greece came into the the school and was during a missions emphasis time, and she felt a burden and a call to say, God, I'll do what it is that you want me to do, having no idea who was going to come the next year. Granted, I was a knight in shining armor. And, and as I was arriving in school, God was already working in her life and her heart to be a willing to leave the southern states of the United States where she had grown up and move literally halfway around the world and come with me. Look, it's a beautiful place to live. Why wouldn't you want to live here with me? But God was working in her heart and her life. And then I come along and I see this girl and she starts ticking off all the boxes and, and she can cook too, which is great. And all these wonderful boxes that she ticks. And eventually I convince her to fall in love with me. <laughs> Takes a while. <laughs> but all the things have to take place. And then we arrive here and then we have the little products of our marriage around the church too because of our children. And you look at that and you think, well, it just so happened. Lucky us. I recognize God's provision. Can you do the same? You look back upon how God put you, puts us in the right place at the right time. Sometimes those places are like, I don't want to be here, God. Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? We have promises of God like in the book of Romans 8, 28. And there's famous verses in the Bible for a reason. And in Romans 8, 28, it's famous because it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That could be so misquoted. To those who are called according to his purpose. That can be very misquoted because we can say anytime a bad thing happens, God, where are you? Obviously, you're not in this because only good things can happen to me. And as a man that sometimes gets a cold, we pray prayers like, God, where are you? And we have hard times and we recognize, God, I need you here. But in reality, God just so happens to put us in the right place at the right time, ultimately, so that we can grow our faith. Second question. Can you see God working in your life? Can you look upon circumstances and time frame in your life and you say, it just so happened that I happened to be in the right place at the right time and look at where I am today. I believe many people come to know Christ as their Savior because they just so happened to be in the right place at the right time and we recognize that God is actively at work and that should grow our faith. So we live by faith in God. Secondly, we live by the grace of God. So we continue in that passage. I'm not going to read verses 4 through 16. Uh, it talks about how the grace was working in, in, in the fact of Ruth being in the right place at the right time. But what we see is 
Ruth is working hard. She's gathering together the, the, the grain because she has to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. So she's working unbeknownst to her. There's a man named Boaz whose eye happens upon her, and I believe he does the great double take. He, do, he looks back and goes, Whoa, who is this lady? And he begins to ask about her. And they tell the, the servants tell her that he, she's a hardworking lady. She hasn't stopped working all day long, but for a brief moment for a rest. And she's working. And so now we see the initiative taken by Boaz to come and speak with her. And it says in verse number 8 through 10, this is the grace of God. This is receiving God's work. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to the young women, that your eyes may be on the field that when they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? So he's giving her protection. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn, which was totally out of the question if you were not invited to do this. Then she fell down on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found, here's that word again, favor in your eyes that, I, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. We live by grace, the grace of God's provision. And grace is a simple word that means that God's favor upon the undeserving. Ruth was looking for grace and she found it and she experienced God's grace. She went out in that field anticipating that God was going to provide for her. And now she's experiencing grace in a way that she could not explain. And she did not orchestrate this in any way. She was receiving something that she did not deserve. She was, in a sense, and I mean this with respect, she was a nobody walking into a stranger's field, and now she's given incredible privileges. You see, Boaz is a picture of Jesus. As a little encouragement and plug for next week, come back next week because chapter number three is tremendous. And we see a picture of Jesus. What we see in the life of Boaz is that Boaz took the initiative. Verse number eight says he went and talked with her. We see in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. We see that Boaz spoke kindly to Ruth. And we see that in Jesus. And it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We have the promise of provision and protection that was given to Ruth. That's exactly what Boaz did. And we see in Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 4 and 7, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, it goes on in verse 7, So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us, in the last line, in Christ Jesus. And we also see the encouragement of Boaz, where Boaz encourages Ruth to, to continue to work and to stay there, rather than saying, look at me, aren't I nice to you, Ruth? You owe me. He gives her encouragement, says, I want you to stay with me. And it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, it's a real perspective change. She goes in as a person, quiet, doing her job, 
as a foreigner, probably meek and mild, knowing that God would provide for her. And now she has a perspective change. Now she has a newfound status, and her response is that of, wow. Hebrews chapter 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And when we have that perspective of understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for us and the cost of God's grace, it causes us to say, wow, God, we have a perspective change. The next question is, in what way are you living in God's grace? Another way of saying that is, in what way are you living in God's favor? Let me ask you a question. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you placed your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Because it goes on in the final point, which the final point is a short point. We said, we saw live by faith in God. We saw live by the grace of God. And then third is live in hope from God. And this is the now what? Okay, we've experienced faith. We are experiencing God's grace. And as a result of that, now we live life differently. Now we live in the hope. And we can experience this in our own relationships. We experience the anticipation, God, you're going to grow our relationships. You're going to strengthen them. They're going to take a lot of work, but we're going to have hard work and God's grace to find a successful relationship. And this is the rejoicing in God's work. In verses 11 through 13, it says, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. So her reputation had preceded her. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you what you have done and the full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, this is her response, I have found favor, that word again, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Boaz encourages her and he gives her some hope with the illustration of, a mother hiding its chicks under its wings, much like a chicken, which I found the most pathetic, wet-looking chicken, be, um, hiding the mother, the mother hiding the chicks under its wings. And that's exactly what Boaz described with Ruth. He says, you've come from a foreign land. You left your mother and your father, your false gods, and now you've come to us, and now you're a part of God's family, and now you're underneath his protection, underneath God's protective wings. From that, Boaz goes on, and he tells his servants, go and drop extra for her. And he invites the, the servants to drop a lot uh, of extra things. So she's going and gathering and gathering and gathering. They eat together, a meal together, and then she goes home. She has enough with leftovers from the meal they ate together, but also she brought along, and if you look at the equivalent of it, 22 liters of barley that day, which was much more than they needed to provide for themselves in the short term. And Naomi, the mother-in-law, comes out, and she began the day with bitterness. And she looks and goes, go ahead, my daughter. Now Naomi is excited. See, the result of living in hope 
is that we have something to rejoice about. We, have, we look back upon, we can see God's favor. We can see because of our faith, God's grace. And now we have something to rejoice about. That's exactly what happened with Ruth. The result was in rejoicing. And he goes on in verse 20. We see the blessing of God and the blessing of others. The beginning, it started off with Naomi being bitter and angry. And it ends off the chapter, now Naomi is praising God. Let me give you an encouragement. The impact of your faith and God's grace in your life and the hope that you live in your life will affect your life. You will live life differently as a result, but it will also affect those around you. In this specific case, it affected the mother-in-law. So if you have a hard mother-in-law, here's a, here's a solution for you. And it says in verse number 20, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord. She started off with bitterness, and now she's blessing. Whose kindness uh, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. We're going to talk about that word redeemer next week and see how God orchestrates and works things out in the life of Ruth and Naomi, ultimately for their benefit and for God's glory. And I want to finish with this one statement. You are part of something bigger and greater than just yourself. Here's the question. For what blessings can you praise God? 